300. This event is co-sponsored by KPFA Radio. And you are listening to 94.1 KPFA in Berkeley, 89.3 KPFB in Berkeley, 88.1 KFCF in Fresno, and online at kpfa.org. The time is 3 p.m. Up next, Cover to Cover with Raina Cohen. Hello there. Hello there and welcome to a oh. Hello there and welcome to another edition of Cover to Cover Open Book or as I like to say Frame to Frame. My name is Raina Cowan and I'm here today talking about the San Francisco International Film Festival. It's the 57th annual film festival and it plays in San Francisco and in Berkeley through May 8th. I always like to highlight the films that are playing at Pacific Film Archive in Berkeley, and I'm going to talk about two films today. Uh, the Last Season, a new film by Sarah Dosa, and The Dog by Alison Berg and Frank Caraudrin. Uh Both of the films are really interesting documentary films that have something exceptional about them, both because they're incredibly interesting, but they each capture the the topic and the subject in a way that really reflects the dynamic of, of who's being talked about. Uh, the last season, for example, is about mush and, mushroom hunters up in Oregon, and the other film is about Dog Day Afternoon and the the man who was the character from Dog Day Afternoon, the 1975 Sidney Lament film. We'll talk about that more later, but we'll start with the last season. Uh, this is Sarah Dosa's uh, first film on her own. Every September, over 200 seasonal workers, most of them Cambodian, Lao, Hmong, and Mian, and Thai, descend on the tiny town of Chimult, Oregon, to search the woods for the rare Matsutake mushroom. It's highly prized in Japan. And this film examines the bonds between two of these hunters, elderly Roger Higgins, who's a Vietnam veteran, and he's traumatized and alienated, and Kui Lok, who is a Cambodian immigrant. And it's there's something so dynamic and interesting about this film. So with me is Sarah Dosa. She has worked as a co-producer on the documentary Elena and was a field producer and co-producer on Inequality for All, the Robert Reich film. Welcome to KPFA. Uh, thank you so much for having me, Raina. So let's talk about this film. I mean, it's so interesting. It covers one season in the mushroom hunting. How did you get involved in this project? Um, I first got involved in the project actually as a graduate student. I was studying cultural anthropology and this brilliant professor, Anna Singh, came for a visiting lecture and she was talking about the Oregon mushroom hunting world, but in the context of labor and capitalism and it just captured my imagination um it was such this vibrant and fascinating universe that she described but what really fascinated me was what seemed to be um kind of the shared history of of uh you know war in southeast asia you know you had this community of mostly cambodian lao thai Hmong, min immigrants like you mentioned and also a lot of vietnam war vets who were so traumatized from the war that they were seeking solace in the woods. So I just knew that there had to be some sort of, you know, rich and complex stories from this confluence of history, but in the most kind of unexpected of places in the middle of Oregon. So I was really drawn to it first through her work, and then it came alive once we met the people in the film. 
Well, that's really interesting how you wind up uh, choosing the the subjects that you chose for the documentary. I mean, so much of a good documentary is really about the characters. And uh, these are really interesting and unusual people that wind up being linked together. How did you find them? Um, Well, we filmed with a lot of people. And I've got to say, there's so many films to be made and to be told in this world. And it's it's a shame we couldn't include all of them. Um, We... we so we found them kind of serendipitously. Uh, Koi, who uh, is you know one of the protagonists of the film, he was one of the research subjects that Professor Singh worked with, and so I knew his name. Uh, but when we went on our first location scout, Josh Penn, my producer, and I, we kind of we rolled into Tumult, we'd go into the ranger station, started talking to one of the rangers about um, you know our idea for the film, and there's this woman in the back uh, who kind of caught our attention, but she was just filing some papers, and we mentioned to the ranger Koi's name. And the woman in the back kind of piped up and said, Koi's my son. (laughs) And Josh and I kind of looked at each other um, a little, you know, surprised but intrigued because, you know, she was white, Koi's Cambodian, and that's not something you see very often, especially in rural Oregon. Uh, So we ended up speaking to her, and she told us this whole story about her husband um, fighting in the Vietnam War, but also he he spoke Khmer um, because he fought along the Cambodian front, and they shared all kinds of stories and ended up bonding and became father and son and so that was a story that um was so rich and meaningful uh, especially how people can come together from war but find peace and a sense of family so what i liked about your film is that you were it's all about mushroom hunting which is a very sort of slow process and the sort of a wet murky woods and you actually have the story uh un- uncover in a really kind of slow way in the same way one would find a mushroom you're like Oh my goodness, I didn't really realize about this. And then there's something else and it's, uh, it's a really interesting way of creating dynamic tension because mm-hmm. at first you don't see what is so dynamic about the particular characters and then over time it just makes, starts making more and more sense. Mm-hmm. Oh, cool. Thank you for saying that. Yeah, for us, it was really important. Um, you know, it's a film about a search, not just a search for the mushroom, but it's about finding family. And so in a film about that, we didn't want to reveal too much right away. We kind of likened our structure as if you're kind of digging through the soil to find what you're looking for. So information is really it is revealed um, slowly, um, but we hope that in that way it's kind of like the content reflects the form or the structure of the film. Yeah, I want to ask about this. We're talking with Sarah Dosa. Her film, The Last Season, is showing at the San Francisco International Film Festival, and I'll tell you about screenings in a minute. But uh, you do have a pace that really works with the story. How did you think about doing that? Um, let's, well, it really it, it came alive just through the characters and through the world. It's it's There's... It wouldn't have been kind of true to to this world if we were to try to play up the conflict or um, try to you know shoehorn some drama into it. Uh, for us, it's it's a slow and meditative film that's about memory and um, family. Uh, that really we we want people to invite. Uh, we want to you know invite the audience to contemplate these kind of solemn themes along you know, with the characters in a way. Um, we did hope, though, to punctuate it with some livelier moments. You know, there's there's a, a cow sacrifice. There's uh, a very lively singing contest, and there's some karaoke scenes. So we hope that there's enough kind of dynamic joy scattered throughout the film to, to liven the, the slower pace. 
You know, you, you mentioned before we went on the air that you were really interested in economic justice. And there's this moment in the film where the uh, Cambodian American is talking about how he researched the price of the mushrooms. Mm-hmm. And it was $1,800 a pound or something. 280 yeah. Yeah, something mm-hmm. really high. But then it turns out that they're getting paid 20 30 Forty dollars a pound yeah. for for it, so it does kind of capture some of those elements. Yeah, it's a fascinating system to say the least. Uh, the price is constantly fluctuating, and it's out of people's control. And that's one of the major themes of the film: is that there are these larger forces, you know, be it war, um, economics, the weather. You know, the weather. It, there's no rain for most of the film, and so uh, there's no mushrooms because of that. So a lot of the film is about what you can and can't control, um, given kind of the cards you're dealt. Uh, but, yeah, and Professor Anna Singh's work, uh, she really deals with the economic issues, and so I would encourage anyone who might be interested in these to seek out her stuff because our film, uh, you know, you get a kind of slice of life um, but you don't get to really understand the full complexity of the economic systems at work. So there's many different cultures all searching for mun- mush- mushrooms. Do you think that they um, connect with each other, or do you think that there's still separations culture to culture? Yeah, um, I think it's I think it's both. Like any mix uh, of you know any diverse community, there's overlaps and shared. Um, yeah, people share, have things in common, and there's also tensions. I think that because these groups of people are largely from Southeast Asia uh, and have overwhelmingly experienced war together, um, there's a lot of overlaps where people can connect with each other. Um, so, uh, and, you know, people are working together. There's the mushroom hunt is a competitive world. Uh, when prices are high, you know, you can make hundreds and hundreds, sometimes thousands of dollars a day, and that always can exacerbate any tensions, be them ethnic, class, gender, whatever they might be. Um, but I do think that there is a lively spirit. Um, people talk about coming together for Matsutake season as if a big family reunion, and they say that not along ethnic lines. Um, they kind of say it fully embracing everyone in the mushroom hunting world, so... Um, that's something that I hope our film can reflect a little bit. And there's a lot of pressure because you're shooting the whole film during this one season? Yes, yeah, we shot, well, we shot about, say, like 90% of the film over that one season. We went back twice to film just extra pickups to get some more interviews. But, yeah, we we were, you know, as embedded as we could be in the mushroom camps. Uh, We had a tent in there just alongside the other mushroom hunters and tried to, uh, have kind of a production process that, um, yeah, that was at once reciprocal and respectful of the people that we were living alongside and filming alongside. Well, there there is a kind of intimacy between you and the characters, and there's so much about documentary where it used to be from such a reserved point of view, and now it seems like there's so much more focus on actually developing relationships with uh, your characters. So how has that impacted both what you were either filming or how you edited it after you, you know, once you get to know these people. Yeah, so we, I mean, we are so lucky that uh, Coy and Roger and his wife, Teresa, our main, our protagonists in the film, they invited us into their homes. Um, but for us as a production crew, it was really important to have that sense of intimacy. Um, so we just spent a ton of time. Trust was central to our process. And also my background is in cultural anthropology, and we really tried to kind of use the methodology of what's called participant observation or um, just really being in people's lives. Um, We would share a lot about our lives and they would share a lot about theirs. So 
uh, I think it developed a closeness that I'm really grateful for. Uh, and then, you know, I was really lucky to work with some fantastic editors, Stuart Sloan and Aaron Casper, who certainly helped, you know, find the right moments. So, uh, yeah, they did a phenomenal job of sifting through our tons and tons of footage. <laughs> Yeah. But it's that you interviewed a lot of people, and then did, did mm-hmm. originally did you think it was going to be a much bigger story? We did, yeah. Going into the film, I actually wanted to have a character from Laos, a character, and uh, I hate to use the word character because that seems mm-hmm. like it's so outside of people's lives. But so um, you know, but a subject from Laos, a subject from Cambodia, and uh, a subject from the U.S. who fought in the Vietnam War, because I really wanted to tie together these three political histories. Um, cause they're incredibly complex and overlapping, um, but. But you can't really necessarily create an emotional and compelling story when you're also uh, trying to (laughs) to fit together a story of economics, a story of uh, political history of war and all of these things. And so as we edited and edited, we really crystallized it around this one family story and um, found a lot of emotional resonance, particularly through them. So that wasn't what you expected at all. No, we, you know, as soon as we heard about Coy and Roger's um, relationship, we knew that that was really important. But it's also, I think, essential to create options in documentary film and any kind of art form. Um, And so we filmed with a lot of different people, kind of seeing what we could get. And then in the edit room, we, of course, loved and valued those other stories that didn't make it into the film. But... um, and the, for the sake of creating kind of a more cohesive, streamlined story, we decided to really focus it um, and go deep, you know, with this one family. It's the film. It's, you know, it's only over the course of one season. So it's not like a longitudinal character study. And so because of that, we really wanted to go as, as deep with, as possible, um, given our kind of fleeting uh, time time period for the film. And at the screenings will... Uh were any of the cast members going to be there? Yeah, Coy actually tonight is coming to our world premiere. Um, so we're absolutely thrilled to have him. It'll be a really special experience. And I have my whole crew, um, just save for a couple people who will also be joining me. So I think we're going to have something like 12 people up on stage. <laughs> That's wonderful. So the last season uh, is uh, the new film by Sarah Dosa. You can see it this evening at 645 at the Kabuki in San Francisco. Sunday, April 27th uh, at 1230 at Pacific Film archive in Berkeley or Monday, May 5th at 3.30 at the Kabuki in San Francisco. So there's three chances to see this film, which is I think really extraordinary. It's a slow pace, it's intimate and uh, there's a lot of surprises. I really enjoyed it. Uh, Thank you so much, Raina. So thank you so much for joining me here in the film festival time. Um, I want to switch now to talk about another film entitled The Dog, which is directed by Alison Berg and Frank Corraldrin. The Dog is a really interesting film uh, because it tells the story of uh, the main character from Dog Day Afternoon, which, if you recall, was a film that by Sidney Lumet that looked at the life of this one man (laughs) who uh, winds up robbing a bank in order to uh, get enough money so that his partner, his wife, could have a sex change operation. So with me to talk about this film are the two directors, Alison Berg and Frank Corraldrin. Welcome to KPFA. Thanks. Hi, welcome. Great. I'm, I'm so glad that you're here. There's, I have to say, you know, I started, uh, you didn't hear the initial introduction of this film, but there is a way where you have captured the life of this character, John Watowich. Is that how you say his name? 
Uh, yes, Wadowitz. Uh, you know, he's a wild and crazy and intense fellow. And you made a film that has a wild, crazy, intense feel that really captures the internal world of his mind at the same time you're telling the story. I really enjoyed your film. Uh, let me introduce each of you. Alison Berg is an award-winning filmmaker who directs and produces a feature-length documentary. She did Witches in Exile, focusing on women accused of witchcraft and banished to remote villages in northern Ghana. And Frank Caraldron is an award-winning filmmaker who directs and edits both narrative and feature films. So uh, welcome to KPFA. Thanks so much. So uh, this is a film uh, that it's a, I think it's a wild film to talk about because you're telling a story that when when I heard that this film was being made, um, which is now, I thought this is a film that I would be really excited to see because I was always interested. I love Dog Day Afternoon, and I was always so interested in knowing who the real person behind the story was. So how did you two get involved in the film in the first place? Well, we've been watching it one night, and, um, you know, similar to you, we, we love the film, Dog Day Afternoon, and at the end of the film, it says that the real-life bank robber got sentenced to 20 years, and somehow we added wrong, and we thought he was getting out of prison the following year from when we were watching it. So we immediately thought, we have to find this guy, see what the real person is like. We found out very quickly that he had been released in the late 70s, but... We read some other things about him that led us to believe he would make a great story. And we found his mother living in Brooklyn. And uh, we gave her a call and just said we're doing some research and wanted to speak with her son. And in the middle of the night, that same night, the phone rang. And it was a really gruff voice on the phone saying, give the password, which we didn't. It was the dog. Um, but he said, you know, my mother said you sounded sexy. I'm giving you a call back. And I think we were on the phone with him until dawn, uh, and that's sort of how it began. Well, that that's a, a, quite a beginning. Yeah. <laughs> and you started well, this, this film in 2002, so in some ways it's a current film about a historical event from the early 70s, but then almost all the characters that you interviewed aren't alive anymore, so it's also a historical film. It's um, It's many things rolled into one. Yeah, I think there was a whole, um, you know, we just showed up at the right time, I guess. Uh, we had no idea that um, most of these people would be gone by the time we finished. We also didn't know it was going to take us a decade. I mean, it was really, you know, we started with um, John, and we got to know him, um, and we, we, we got close over a few years, really. I mean... And, and in retrospect, the fact that we didn't have money to make this film was actually a blessing because it it forced us to um, take years to make it. And we got really close with him and his mother. A lot of the other people we met and interviewed after John passed. And there's also uh, a never-ending treasure hunt for archival footage and images. In the beginning, we knew we had this, you know, we had met this really interesting character, and he was even, I mean, more than what you see in, on the screen in real life, um, which we knew if we could capture him that there was something there, but we really didn't, didn't have all the pieces, and it was just sort of, for most of the time that we were making it, we didn't know whether we had a film or not, and, and it was just sort of like grabbing at all these little things that were disappearing right in front of our eyes, you know? Well, that's so funny because it kind of captures his life where, you know, he goes to rob a bank and 
he thinks it's going to be like four minutes in, four minutes out, but it actually turns into a hostage situation in Brooklyn where he's there for 17 hours. Everybody is riveted on the television. There's a thousand people outside watching what's going on. It's, um, it's quite a scene. And, uh, and that, that he's doing something based, um, <laughs> both on love and craziness and impulsiveness in a way that, uh, is quite a unique story. So I'm wondering, Allison, uh, for you, you got a lot of the archive footage, um, including this amazing scene where uh, right after Stonewall, he winds up um, going to get married to his partner so that there's all these things that are just phenomenal that wind up coming out. Do you have any idea that... Uh, that you were going to be able to find this kind of footage? Uh, well, no, actually, that was a huge surprise. Um, actually, Frank had gone to uh, Randy Wicker's house, who's the activist and journalist who's in our film, and he had shot all of this amazing footage back at the beginning of the early gay rights movement, which he was a part of. And so he had given Frank this material. We didn't know John was in the footage until we had it transferred. So, um, you know, I think we'd watched it a few times before we had realized he was actually in it. And, you know, it, it wasn't something that we started the film knowing just how active he was in that movement and the material we would come across. So that was something that developed as we were in the middle of that treasure hunt for footage. Um, now, you know, I've interviewed some people where uh, they don't stop talking. There's never a pause in what they're saying. And I have to figure out <laughs> how to make a, a story uh, where there's a, enough give and take to tell a story. And I have a feeling that John Wadowich is that kind of person that you could ask one question if you are allowed to ask a question. And he might go on for hours. Uh, I can imagine that you have hours and hours and hours and days worth of footage. So uh, first, what was it like to actually have to um, uh, interact with him, even though I, it's clear that you're quite fond of him? And then how were you able to use that material and be distant enough and create enough space in order to tell the story? Um. I would say, you know, the, the thing about John was, uh, as you picked up on, he, he loved talking, especially about himself. He would never stop. And in the beginning, it was exhausting because we would have these conversations that would literally last for like a day. I mean, you'd meet in the morning and you'd be there eight hours later. Um, but we spent a lot of time, I mean, I would say probably a ratio of 100 to 1 um, without a camera meaning talking to John, hanging out at his house. We we spent hundreds of evenings at his mother's house over the, the first few years because um, when when we filmed him, it was always very unexpected. We, it was very difficult to set up shoots. We, we never really knew what was going to happen, and then it would happen at the last minute. And so we, we spent all this time with him, and when we did talk to him, we already knew sort of what we wanted to try to get from him um but john was also the kind of guy you know he he would say exactly what he wanted to say and we we went with that from the beginning we told him just be yourself you know so that you yeah and i think go ahead um, i was going to say also you know after he passed away we we were filming a lot of the other people after that point in time but i think also for frank and myself 
it was definitely a period of time that we didn't go in and edit right away. We weren't working with the footage right away because we needed, I mean, the life experience of making this film uh, was was very intensive compared to what you see on camera. Um, I mean, it really was every day of our lives for years, and I, I don't think we could have really sat there and worked with it right away. Right, it is almost like those uh, those films where you actually kind of go into the screen and become part of the movie. <laughs> I can yeah. I can imagine that's what happened when uh, when you were w- working with John in this film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know what's what's interesting too is we actually um, we shot a lot of sort of present day footage. I mean, tons of stuff that is not in the film because by by the time we we had a film, we realized, okay, the, the, the true story is, is really mostly in the past tense. That's like the most interesting story. And we kind of knew that um, the present day stuff, it was it was fascinating, but it, it sort of paled in comparison a little bit. It, it wasn't really where we wanted to go with it. John became ill and, you know, that's a whole other story. Um, and also we, a lot of people told us we should have put ourselves in the film because dealing with him was so, you know, out of control. But at the same time, we, even though that was an amusing idea, it would have been a fun film, but we knew it wasn't about us, you know. It was really like, um, I mean, I, I think when I see the film, it brings back so many memories that I feel like I'm there, but I'm, I'm glad that we didn't sort of make ourselves a part of the story. Yeah, and it's amazing to think, like, our initial plan was really just to shoot for a year. I mean, that it was going to be more of a verite film, and, and we'd film him and his mother for a year, and uh, somehow we ended up in this, making sort of like this odyssey that just went on for years of our life. Well, I think that there's some way where his character, which is uh, so wild, and then the people that he gets to know, and then even his mother, who, um, you know was so loving towards him and both i think disappointed about the choices that he made in his life but supporting him in such a way we really get to see so much of the dynamics of this moment that i think is really useful yeah yeah no i mean we we loved his mother terry i mean she you know she every time the dog would just do something you know the, the dog had a habit of driving people away <laughs> And Terry knew how to bring him back. So, you know, she she was somebody who I we kind of feel like she steals the show. We're we're talking to the directors of The Dog, which is a film that's playing at the San Francisco International Film Festival, it's directed by Alison Berg and Frank Corradrin. And it tells the story of uh the the, the true story. It's a documentary based on uh John Witowitz who uh it was displayed in Dog Day Afternoon with who played by Al Pacino. Uh now it looks to me that uh, according to the notes that John and his mother died in the same year, is that right? About six months uh, apart. Yeah, like uh, after you know, um, John, John passed away first, and I think uh, his mother Terry, who by then was already, I think, eighty-six, um, she really lived for him in a way. And, and I think after he was gone, it was almost like I don't know. I mean, I think she was she was sort of she let go, and um, you know, we weren't. We were very close to her too, so we spent that last whatever it was six or ten months with her um but yeah it was it was very 
just uh, the second he, he he passed away, she she changed and she sort of let go. I think. Uh, do you think that you wouldn't have been able to make this film unless you were as close to uh, John and his mother as you were? I think we're not the first people who have tried to make a film about the dog. Uh, I think the fact that, yeah, we became close with him and his mother, that we were local, and that we could also, he likes to push everybody's buttons, and he likes to see how far he can take it. And I think the fact that Frank and I both have a really good sense of humor and we weren't that judgmental and we weren't that uptight and that we were really into hearing his stories, I think he kind of felt like he had these two buddies around to, like, be able to be sort of the showman that he is. Well, you can see the dog. It's playing uh, this Sunday, April 27th at 9 o'clock at the Kabuki, Monday, April 28th at 6.15 at the Kabuki, and then next Saturday, May 3rd at 8.30 at Pacific Film Archive in Berkeley. Really interesting film, dynamic and fun and painful at the same time. I want to thank Alison Berg and Frank Caradron for joining me on this segment. Thanks so much. So my name is Raina Cowan. You've been listening to Cover to Cover frame to frame or as I like to say um, uh, a look at San Francisco and its film scene uh, I'm talking about the 57th annual San Francisco International Film Festival that runs through May 8th in San Francisco and at Pacific Film Archive in Berkeley which I think is a great place to see films. I'll be back next month for more interesting ideas about film with interesting conversations with directors. Thanks so much for listening. Social Justice Center of Marin warmly invites you to celebrate free speech at their annual membership meeting and awards dinner. Guest speaker is Lisa Rudman, executive director of the Social Justice National Radio Series, Making Contact, which can be heard on Friday afternoons on KPFA. Lisa Rudman will speak on acts of journalism, how changes in media making are changing our lives. This event will take place on Sunday, April 27th from 5.45 p.m. to 8.30 p.m. at the West End Cafe, 1131 4th Street in San Rafael. It is